podcast i'm nick beatman and i'm here with my friend zach Kmack. hello everybody and my friend alex white clay hello so uh we are going to be talking about the recent bannings and unbannings in commander and the updated philosophy document that was released by the rules committee so we have got a lot to talk about um there's some been some major changes but before we dive into it i want to briefly talk about our patreon page if you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and access cool rewards for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help out. You can help us out by writing a review on Apple podcasts or stitcher. Okay. Let's, let's jump into it. So I, I guess we'll, would you like to, would you guys like to start with the unbanning? Yes. Yeah. That's a good news. Yeah. That's, that's a good place to start. Okay. I think so uh, on Monday of this week, Painter servant was unbanned, and I'm oh, yes. pretty flippin' happy about this. How do you guys feel? Yeah, I I mean I'm very happy about this. This is like the one card that's been on the ban list since like forever that I've always wanted to play with, and now and now it's time. Mm-hmm. So I should be really happy. Uh, I am of the same mind as Zach, where uh, <laughs> yeah. I I've always just thought. Why, why is this banned? There's no format that this really belongs except Commander. And I have an eight and a half Tails deck. I have an Una deck. They both really want a Painter's Servant. But I, uh, I can only be so happy uh, because of the topic of today's show, in a way, mm-hmm. uh, which is the fact that the card quintupled in price overnight, and uh, I was woefully unprepared. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll get more into the the financial ramifications of these bannings in a minute I, th- I think we've all got a lot to say on the subject oh, heck yeah. mm-hmm. um but i personally think that there was no reason for painter servant to be banned in the first place um i i don't think that there were any great arguments for it there's it doesn't do anything on its own really it only does things in combination with other cards yeah and most of those cards are like less fun and more oppressive um, yeah, I would argue Mycosynth Lattice, which does a similar effect, like all things are this thing, is much more oppressive. Yeah. Than, and it, it Mycosynth Lattice in particular is an excellent example because Mycosynth Lattice is going to function well with cards people already play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you're yeah. you're looking Vandal at Blast. Vandal Blast, Vandal Blast, Progress, the, or whatever. right? The obvious examples, and you're already going to play a card like that. You're not necessarily going to play uh, your, you know, Douse. Yeah. <laughs> without the guarantee that you're going to get the painter servant. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that uh, two card combos are generally not worth discussing when it comes to ban decisions because there's so many of them. Uh, and in this case, like the the probably like the best painter servant combo, painter servant grindstone, painter servant does nothing on its own, grindstone oh. does nothing on its own. On, on the topic of Painter Servant doing nothing, perhaps for the audience, we should say what Painter Servant does do. That That is oh, a good that's point. Really so <laughs> Painter Servant, uh, two mana artifact creature. So one, three, Scarecrow. Uh, as it enters the battlefield, name a color, permanence, uh, and cards that are not in play, and spells. 
are the chosen color, all of them. Mm -hmm. So your whole library, your whole hand, everything on the table. And on the stack. And on the stack. Uh, yes. So painter servant in combination with grindstone, grindstone is a one mana artifact. You can pay three and tap it to mill the top two cards of target players library. And Mm -hmm. if they share a color, repeat this process. Mm -hmm. So painter servant makes it so that no matter what their cards are going to be the same color. And so it'll just completely mill somebody out in one shot. Um, but without painter servant, that card is super bad. That card does nothing. Milling players is usually a downside. Yeah, it's it's definitely a next to nothing kind of card. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like the fact that you have to draw these two cards in combination and they are dead cards most of the time just doesn't really uh, excite me at all it, compared to other two card combos where your like mind over matter does a lot on its own. Yes. And like Azami does a lot on her own. Those are the two card combos that I'm more worried about where I'm not unhappy to draw either half outside of the context of the other. Yeah, no, I I 100% agree. And I think that's going to be pretty much any heinous thing you can think of with Painter Servant is very specific. Mm -hmm. Like all the cards are very specific because a lot of the cards that care about color are like very like eccentric a lot of the times. Or they do something in a weird way. Mm-hmm. With, with perhaps the only caveat to that being, if your commander cares about everything yes. being a color, yes, that then is the caveat. perhaps you'll run the other combos with Painter's Servant, yeah. knowing I'm looking for this interaction with my commander, and if I can get a little extra, yeah. then I'll go for that. Yeah, but. I do fully expect to see Painter Servant in those lists. Uh, I expect to get comboed with Painter Servant more in those lists than I would in, say, just like some random list yeah i'm I'm not worried about it popping up all the time yeah and and most of the commanders that do synergize with painter servant it's not an unbeatable lock like lawan cephalid empress is one of the best ones when she enters the battlefield bounce all your opponent's blue creatures your opponents can't cast blue creature spells so if you have your painter servant set to blue then your opponent's just all their creatures get bounced and they can't cast creatures yes but that is of course vulnerable to creature removal uh, <laughs> right. instant sorcery artifact enchantment based ways to answer these problems or planeswalker or lands mm-hmm. oh yeah i think the only deck that really gets hosed by that is nikia of the old ways which mm-hmm. makes doubles your mana for creatures <laughs> and you can't cast non-creature spells although, i think that's the only list i can think of although, to be fair a lot of the nikia decks that you see run a lot of creatures that you you can discard from hand that's to do true. something you mm. don't actually have to cast them at that all that's true so <laughs> true perhaps it's not not as bad as we thought Maybe. just jawari those two away right exactly <laughs> a two for one mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah the, that's very very exciting do you guys want to talk about the bands now too yeah yeah let me uh just segue real quick here <laughs> so the one commander that potentially would be like a game winning lock with painter servant oh, is yep. iona shield of amiria mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and those who aren't familiar with her with her she is a nine mana angel she's a seven seven flyer she's mono white and as she enters the battlefield you choose a color your opponents can't cast spells of the chosen color so of course with painter servant that makes it so that all of their spells are col- are of the color of your choice mm-hmm. and they can't cast anything and you probably win from that scenario yeah so yeah, your opponent would have to be in a very, very good position <laughs> yes. to not lose. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
But fortunately, we don't have to deal with that problematic interaction because as part of the same ban list announcement, Iona was placed on the ban list. Yes. How how do you all feel about this? I've I've got mixed I've got mixed feelings. I am net positive on this. I think that uh I would not have asked specifically to ban Iona, but uh I think that overall this is just a sign that they're actually thinking about the format as a whole and like kind of trying to push it in a better place where for what was it 36 months we didn't get any of that something crazy like that Mm -hmm. so i think on the whole i'm very happy with it so with regards to iona specifically my thought would be to quote uh this show actually Hmm. (laughs) painter's servant died for iona's sins Mm. Uh, i am glad painter's servant is back in the format if Iona had to take the bullet for that to happen, so be it. Um, personally, I believe that the two cards probably could have existed in yeah. the same format. Yeah, I agree. And that wouldn't be the end of the world. Uh, there are things that are not spells that kill creatures. Uh, Painter Servant is only a 1-3. So. Yeah, and it's an artifact. And it's an artifact, that's right. Yeah. So it's especially vulnerable. Yeah, I... Um agree with with both of what you guys have said um i don't i don't like iona i don't think it's fun i really really hate that it punishes monocolor decks more than any other deck like monocolor decks are already at a big disadvantage and so a card that really like just pushed their face into the mud i don't i was not happy that that existed that being said like it's not a high priority for banning in, yeah. in my opinion, because it costs a million mana and does not win you the game. And so there's just the natural, like, uh, Darwinian card selection process makes it so that people are more likely to play other things than play Iona in all but, like, Kalia decks. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the biggest hit, is now Kalia can't just be like, all right, like, turn four or five, here's an Iona naming whatever your deck is yeah now she has to tutor for master of cruelties yeah yep. and so you don't have to stick around yeah right right so they have to uh just acknowledge that they're not being fun when they demonic tutor for the master of cruelties yeah, rather of than saying well to be fair i let two of you continue to play yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so, so but i i definitely agree with what you said alex um i think that the format is a much better place if painter servant is legal and if i am totally willing to make the swap of iona for painter servant i'd I'd do that any day of the week i I think it was just complete injustice that painter servant would be banned and iona legal i think that the iona is by far the less fun card and it's uh this isn't i'd say this isn't like the perfect uh format or or like this uh, it's it's not the best it could possibly be, but the format is definitely better for having made this change. Yeah. Uh, you may feel differently once you lose a game to a life force, though. <laughs> <laughs> there, you gotta watch out. There's a, a lot of new, a lot of new unfun tech that got unbanned. Those color hate cards from back in the day. Oh, yeah. There's no a joke. lot. There's, I, I, w- yeah. I will allow it. <laughs> that's, that's my feeling. Yeah. Fair um, enough. Do you guys, would you go like, would you guys like to move on to the other yeah. New entrant to the ban list? Yeah, yeah, there was one more uh, 
I would say high profile banning. <laughs> yes. Uh, so this card is Paradox Engine. It is a five mana legendary artifact. Uh, whenever you cast a spell, untap all non-land permanents you control. How do you guys feel about this banning? Good. <laughs> I just think that like there was no deck, uh, there's no cost to just putting Paradox Engine in a deck and it just having the game won for you. There are tons of decks that just like have mana rocks or have mana elves or have anything or just cast lots of spells and all of a sudden you just drop a paradox engine like it didn't force any deck building restrictions uh and was very easy to just could turn these decks into combo decks just with one card with Mm -hmm. one super easy inclusion um so i think that forcing people to do something else is actually a good thing for the format Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have a very uh, unusual take on Paradox Engine uh, yeah. for whatever reason, just because of the piecemeal nature of the commander experience. Yeah. I have not been victimized by Paradox Engine yeah. like many other people have. So I recognize that it is very strong. I have seen it happen, but it has been a very small portion of of my play experience since it has been printed. Mm. With that said, the wisdom uh, that seems to be circulating is that much like Painter Servant had died for Iona's sins, so too Paradox Engine is dying for Urza's sins. <laughs> so I can only imagine that that would be something that we would uh, all have to live with in the coming months. I am not... The, I'm not super convinced by that argument. I um, I have heard that as well. Um, but I think that, like, Urza is one deck, and it's the sort of thing... And, like, honestly, Urza does a lot even without Paradox Engine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, like, adding, like, a little bit of bump in power from, like, a B-plus commander to, like, a solid A commander or, like, you know, something like that. Uh, I don't think that's enough reason to to really ban a card, but I do definitely agree that like Paradox Engine makes it so easy for so many decks to combo. Like like you said, Zach, yeah. there's very little cost to running a bunch of mana dorks or a bunch of mana rocks. Like mana acceleration is just good in Commander because mm-hmm. the the high end spells are so powerful. Um, so it's very uh, tempting for decks to try to tutor it out and like see it every game. I uh have not been victimized by paradox engine but i have victimized others <laughs> with paradise engine this is my truth and reconciliation yeah. moment right mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. um this is for me a big thing is like looking and listening to like other people talk about paradox engine like kind of thinking about how people have experienced it in the time since it's been legal and kind of thinking about like why that is and i just think that the format will be better when this card that can just fit in so many decks like that's really the big thing is like it's just so easy it fits into so many decks and it's so powerful and that it can just warp a game like you just tutor for it every time i think there are just some decks that will always look for it every time that i less 
like with Iona, I would not have been calling for its banning. This one, I was probably much higher on my list, mm-hmm. but I still like, I, I know there are arguments for like, Hey, like, I don't know. Like, I don't think this should have been banned cause blank. And I can understand that, but I think the format is better with it gone just cause it was so easy. It was kind of like, like just, I don't want to be too mean. I'm not going to be too mean. That, okay. that actually, that, that brings to mind an interesting point, And that is, as you say, it can go into a lot of decks at very little cost. Yeah. And it's, it's colorless. Any deck could run it. So I almost wonder if we're going to see cards, more cards, more artifacts specifically, uh, with kind of Wizards' new direction with colored artifacts, mm-hmm. where they are at Paradox Engine's kind of power level, but because they're restricted by color, they will perhaps be fair, despite being similar. I, I think I know where you're going with this. Were you uh, thinking of Bolas's Citadel? <laughs> Uh, yeah, Bol- Bolus's Citadel. Fun, yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I I think Bolus's Citadel, like it's it's definitely a Paradox Engine type of card in that it's strong enough um, that you it's really worthwhile to tutor it out every game. But I think there's a couple key differences. I definitely agree that the fact that it's black as opposed to uh, as opposed to colorless, and and also like the fact that and it's also worth mentioning that mana rocks are also colorless and so really deck any deck can not only run the paradox engine but also like the suite of cards that combo with it mm-hmm. right right the thran dynamos and yeah, yeah. whereas with um paradox engine there is a certain type of card that it really works with because i'm sorry with bolus's citadel there is a certain type of card that it works with mm-hmm. it's not that great if you don't have a way to consistently keep yourself from hitting lands so what it really wants you to run is like lots of cheap cantrips, cheap scry effects, and it's not a huge burden to run those cards, but it also puts you in like a, um, an even more narrow color identity where you're probably going to be blue-black um, just if you want to get this consistently, go like find it consistently and consistently like get the, like keep it from fizzling. Mm-hmm. So that's like super narrow what's one color identity out of the the 31 in the format right well i was sorry 32 that's an excellent point and one that i wasn't considering as such um i just i guess was thinking from the perspective of kaladesh as a format mirrodin as a format Mm -hmm. uh urza's block as a format all had many bannings this kind of this paradox engine banning kind of seems like it might just be an one extension. more in the long march yeah. of cards that are too strong merely because they can be played in any deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, it, it's like literally any deck. Like you could elf ball with it. You could play it in Krenko with like a Skirt Prospector and a Goblin Dark Dweller. There you go. Like you could play it in any like blue black deck with mana rocks. Like literally any deck. Oh, yeah. I, a funny, funny point. Um, I was looking at decks that commonly play it and was surprised to see uh, Drawnu Lich Lord yeah. in the top five of Ooh, decks that good. care about Paradox Engine. Mm, that is funny. Uh, very surprising, uh, but it just goes to show the breadth of the application of the card goes so much further than you know even just the oh it makes infinite mana. Yeah, that we're that we're discussing yep. kind of at the surface level here, mm-hmm. and I definitely think it prevents you from pursuing more fun lines of play yeah 
Um, because like, for example, I was trying to crack CSA Weatherlight Captain shortly after the release of Modern Horizons. And uh, it was, I mean, she is a tutor commander and the fact that you can tutor out Paradox Engine because it's legendary makes it so that, okay, all I just need is something like Selvala Heart of the Wilds that can tap for the Wooberg cost. And now I have, I'm just netting tons of mana off of everything I cast. Uh, she like assembles everything you need. You don't even need to run like yeah. the mana rocks and mana dorks. Yeah. Um. So, but like that's obviously not what the commander is intended to be doing. But Paradox Engine just, it's I couldn't not pursue the very best thing you could do. Yeah. <laughs> minor minor correction. Sisse does not cast the cards, but Urza does. Hmm. So well, Sisse can assemble the pieces, and then you can just cast out your. Oh, okay. Point. I I see your point. Yes. (laughs) But yeah, it's all in all. I think like all three, the banning and unbanning, like combined, uh, does point to a positive trend in. I think the how the rules committee is finally like looking at cards Mm -hmm. and uh, what we can expect from here on out. Uh, I think that, I mean, I'm crossing my fingers that we are going to see more unbannings in the future. There's still cards on that list that I just don't think need to be there. There's a lot of people don't think they need to be there. I think now, though, that we've gotten past the one card that everyone on the CAG had the consensus of Mm -hmm. was like, why is this there? Now it's going to be a matter of like discussion and time and and seeing how they think about it because we do know that the rules committee is very very conservative about yeah all of this we've had stuff. years without changes yes uh alex do you have any overall thoughts on the bannings overall thoughts well yes as i alluded to earlier uh, i was caught woefully unprepared <laughs> for this unbanning specifically so Two decks that have been built for years. I would have been running running Painter Servant in them from day one if it had been legal. On a number of occasions, I toyed with the idea, well, maybe it'll get unbanned. Everyone seems to think that would be reasonable. Never got around to buying it. So, wake up, hear the news, and uh, can't get a hold of a Painter Servant for less than $50. Yep. Which is very disappointing because again, I had always been one of those people who would have been playing it the whole time if only I had known. Yep. So maybe it would be best to move on to one of the major talking points of uh, this. Sure, this go right episode. ahead. Yeah. yeah, which would be what what do we do uh, about the market instability that comes with a very untransparent banning and unbanning process. Mm-hmm. Um, I've yeah. heard I've heard people kind of make mention of how much money was lost in Paradox Engines. Uh, on the flip side, how much money is being spent on Painter's Servants? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, it is worth noting that, like, uh, there's al- although this banning did create did lose a lot of value the unbanning did create a lot of value not all copies of painter servant were in the hands of stores so if if you are someone who owned both a painter servant and a paradox engine like you probably broke even on this i think you came out slightly ahead yeah yeah from what the numbers have been looking like yeah 
I think the this is like a topic we like allude to a lot of the time. Like I've I know I've mentioned on the show before. Like I think prices getting too high is dangerous for not just Commander, just for Magic in general. Just because like then it gets prohibitive for new players to join. So this topic, in particular with bannings and unbannings and like hype generation and stuff like that, like I think that's really kind of the crux of the argument is like that it was so not transparent. Mm. Like so like there had been like rumblings since the formation of the CAG um, just because all of them had talked about their opinions on cards on the ban list and cards they would like on the ban list and uh, that weren't currently and that kind of stuff. But the rules committee has always been super uh, closed doors, like behind the screen, like don't let anyone in. And uh, I think very opaque process. Yeah. And I, I, I think this uh, Alex brought up, I think this kind of opened my eyes to how actually like, how many ramifications that can have in the real world. There, there's a lot to seize on in what you just said. Yeah. And I think I'm just want to briefly inject something and then we can unpack everything else. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I do think that the price we're seeing for painter servant right now is definitely not the correct price. Yeah. Agreed. It's a super niche card. There's like a handful of commanders that want it. It's not the card that you're going to throw. It's not a staple. It's not a card that you're going to throw into the main deck of most decks. Yeah. I think that because unbannings are so infrequent, the like the market doesn't really understand like when, like what the right price of the card should be. Yeah. If bannings happened a lot more time, uh, a lot more frequently, then you could easily track like the price of a card and figure out like maybe where it could be. But people are just kind of paying any price yeah, for these painter servants and stores are reaping the benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, okay. There's a lot of other yeah, things that you just keep, said. Let's keep going. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Um, so regarding, uh, transparency. Yes. Uh, I definitely agree that the rules committee can be more transparent in how they're doing things. Um, Before, before recently, like my stance on banning and unbanning was like, well, if we want to get to like the optimal solution, then we need to do a lot more experimentation. We need to like just see what a card would be like if it came off the ban list. We need to maybe put cards on probation and see if it solves the problems that we thought they were causing. But um, in the most recent, in one of the most recent episodes of the command zone, um, Josh Lee Kwai brought up the the fact that so much value had evaporated with the banning of paradox engine and it's ban list decisions are definitely not made in a vacuum. They do have real world ramifications and this whole conversation has made me a lot more wary about banning and unbanning willy nilly without, but because of course like magic, it, it is unfortunate that it is a stock market essentially. Yeah. Um, but right. and a, a stock market with basically none of the protections that the stock market has <laughs> yes. in place. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that makes it so that, instability and uncertainty are are poison for it and so anything that the rules committee can do to decrease that uncertainty would probably benefit everyone yes i I agree with that yeah so then the question becomes what are the 
solutions to instability or are there other solutions that we could look at right mm-hmm. so i guess which one do we want to tackle first <laughs> okay good question um so i think that if the rules committee had a clear process for determining bannings and unbannings then there would be a lot less uncertainty because right now i mean many many people have criticized the ban list for being inconsistent so it's difficult for an outsider to know what cards would be banned by the rules committee what cards would be unbanned by the rules committee um so if they had a clear process that anyone could understand then people could like consult that process and be like oh this new card fits all these criteria it's probably not something i should buy eight of so just for dramatic effect i'm going to go ahead and inject here maybe something like the format philosophy document Mm. as updated july 2019 very good (laughs) let's let's move on to that before we get too far into yeah because i guess actually that was part of the banning an unbanning announcement was that they updated the philosophy document. Um, there's a lot of bold lettering in it. Um, the like TLDR of the whole thing is uh, commander is for fun. It is not to be like, it's, it's meant to not be for competitive play uh, and that they like being conservative so that they don't restrict options for people. That's kind of like, the overarching uh, ideas kind of contained in it. But within it, there's also some ideas of like uh, why they have banned cards in the past. Uh, there, there's a lot of things that are uh, still very vague. Yeah, uh, I, I think I'm going to just quote some of this. Yeah. Uh, so the, the primary focus of the list, meaning the ban list, is on cards which are problematic because of their extreme consistency ubiquity and or ability to restrict others opportunities um and i'm just going to read out the bullet points that they have placed in here yes so the ban list includes cards which easily or excessively cause severe resource imbalances allow players to win out of nowhere prevent players from contributing to the game in a meaningful way cause other players to feel they must play certain cards even though they are also problematic that that's one i think we could try to unpack a little bit yeah there's a lot in (laughs) um cards that are very difficult for other players to interact with especially if doing so requires dedicated narrow responses with deck building cards that interact poorly with the multiplayer nature of the format or the specific rules of commander and cards that lead to repetitive play. So I, I think that um, that is useful that they've spelled out what their criteria are. Mm-hmm. I think they can take it a step further. I agree wholeheartedly. I think probably the easiest step would be to take this list from a, a qualitative sort of description and maybe try and make it a more quantitative description which is a problem that you've discussed on the show before as being sort of the perennial problem Mm -hmm. of talking about commander. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, 
So some of these these dot points are, are pretty clear in what they mean. Allowing players to win out of nowhere, that's... Uh, anyone has an... Exp- I'm sure everyone has experienced that at some point. Yeah, I also, like... Yeah, well, I, I don't think they actually mean that one in particular, mm. just because they're... Do tell. They're, I mean, <laughs> there's so many cards that do just let you win out of nowhere that they allow that it's... Well, Biorhythm is banned. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. They got that one. Yeah, they got it. That one's in the books. It's all under control. It's all (laughs) under control. But continue. Um, Man, that's a really good... That's a promising vein of conversation. We'll come back to that. Yeah. Um, But there are others that seem like they were so... that, That are a little harder to understand, like cause other players to feel they must play certain cards, even though they are also problematic. That is such a like vague sentence. Like it's clear that they had something in mind, but that is that idea is not communicated by the words here. I yes. don't. We we had right. to we had to go out of our way and ask a member of the CAG what that meant, um, and that specifically, like the the must play certain cards even though they are also problematic. That's talking about Cyclonic Rift. Okay. I mean, this, this is definitely also, thank you, Charlotte, uh, for, for helping us out. Um, this, I think it's also primeval Titan. I think it's also Emrakul 1.0. Like there were, there were cards in the past that were so powerful. They were just so they, you had to play them or the game became about that card. Like profit of crucifix, profit of crucifix, popular example. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Never did get to play with the Prophet of the Prefix, so, oddly enough. So mm. much fun. <laughs> but um, so I, I understand vaguely the category of cards they're talking about. Mm-hmm. I agree that uh, Paradox Engine is probably in this list as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know. What else would you like to discuss about it so i guess for clarity's sake because i'm confused so maybe the listeners at home are too yeah in what way is paradox engine on this on that particular bullet point oh okay so um, what cards is it forcing you to play to deal with it cause other players to feel they must play certain cards even though they're also playing well it just it's the easiest thing to do so when it's like the easiest way to win if you're if you're trying to build an artifact deck yeah you and could win with like attacking with a bunch of mirror tokens, mm-hmm. or you could win with Paradox Engine. Yeah. And once you see somebody win with Paradox Engine once, yeah, you could like try and like replicate your like Mer Battle Sphere a bunch of times and win that way, or you could just Paradox Engine, and that's way easier. Yeah, although personally, I feel that Paradox Engine aligns much more with the second bullet bullet on this list: allow players to win out oh, of nowhere. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. I think well they they say uh they do mention cards can be under multiple criteria. Mm-hmm. So I I don't think that Paradox Engine is specifically only the uh you must play this even though it's problematic one. Now see, I guess I'm reading that line a little differently mm-hmm. and having it be such a qualitative list. Yeah. I can't imagine that the people in the CAG and the rules committee even necessarily understand this sentence in the same way. So I read this as saying, I don't want to lose to paradox engine. I need to run a lot of shatters Mm -hmm. or I don't want to lose to a creature. I need to run swords path, 
whatever I can put in the deck to kill a creature. And I'm not necessarily sure that that is a narrow enough criteria to be meaningful because mm -hmm. obviously if any card is strong, you're going to need to remove it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think I have a couple issues with this sentence. One is that uh, answers are very healthy part of commander. I think it's not unreasonable to expect that if you're running a blue deck, like you should probably have some way to interact with your opponent, like counter spells. Like if, like everyone doing solitaire combo and whoever combos off first, that's not fun. Or everyone doing like hyper aggressive decks, but like no way to wrath the board or answer each other's creatures. That's not really fun because it just becomes like who can do it best as opposed to like who can do it best while also like uh, countering what their opponents are doing. Just becomes sort of the battle cruiser magic that uh, the format kind of has a bad name because of. Yeah. Well, I, I, I wouldn't even say that because I, I think that like it becomes an arms race. So like battle cruiser magic was a lot of, to me, it was like this thing smashing into this thing and let's see what happens where I think if you take away interaction, it is literally an arms race. It's mm -hmm. literally just like, and, and I don't mean like, like you need to run counter spells in your blue deck. I mean like most blue decks run like bounce spells or, or like any way to interact. So you know what I mean? So I guess my only thought is I would maybe posit that the difference between say a very strong casual deck and a competitive deck is mm -hmm. the competitive deck is figuring out how to get its removal suite in the list. So the removal becomes part of the sort of most powerful version of the deck because as was said, you're going to have just an all around more interactive and presumably therefore more powerful deck. But it's also better magic. If yeah. like, like just because it's better for your win percentage to run interaction doesn't mean it's, leads to worse games i think magic is better when it's fair. more inter interactive um mm -hmm. there's one more th sorry i'm no i'm talking no, 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 there's one good. more thing i want to say like i about an what, another reason i don't like this bullet on the list is every other bullet feels like you could um it feels like you could try to measure it somehow but this one is specifically talking about cause other players to feel they must play certain cards. It's about feeling, whereas everything is like, this is something that happens in the game that we want to avoid. Okay, I know how to look for that. I, how do I know to look for what other people are feeling? I want to I want to hear what you want to say, but I do want to say that the fact that none of us kind of agreed on what this bullet point meant, I think is a big sign of the problem. Right, that, that's yeah. exactly right. And if anyone else is ever brought on to the... Like CAG or the CAG, roll committee or whatever. They're going to have their own take on it. They're going to have thought about it and talked to their play group and they'll understand it in the way that, you know, they formed in their own head. So unfortunately I lost my train of thought. We'll move on. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. We'll come back to it if you remember it, but yeah, no, I, I just think that the, I understand the, the, I, I, I feel like I know kind of the intent. So like uh, to use cyclonic rift as an example, cyclonic, cyclonic rift is a card that uh, is ubiquitous, ubiquitously ooh, um, understood to be a like very salt-inducing card. Most people on Twitter, most like playgroups have a large amount of people that are calling for Cyclonic Rift to be banned. Um, and there's contention there. Um, it makes people feel like they have to play it um, because it's so strong. Uh, and I understand that that 
kind of amount of like rabble rousing that a card can get uh, can lead to this vague language, but I do think there's a better way to get into discussing this kind of thing. So this leads into the thing that I forgot until just now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I guess in the quest to sort of quantify what it means to have players feel that they need to play a card, really the only way you can put a number on that is what percentage of decks is it in? Yeah. So, or to look at a card that's very overrepresented and figure out, like, what is this responding to? Hmm. But the problem is, is most of the time when you're looking at something like that, say in the case of Cyclonic Rift, Mm -hmm. people are going to feel they need to play certain cards, the certain card being Cyclonic Rift, even though they those other cards, Cyclonic Rift, are also problematic. Mm-hmm. I am playing Cyclonic Rift because you are playing Cyclonic Rift. Or, or this could be written that, like, the the Cyclonic Rift isn't the thing causing, but it is the, the certain card that is also problematic. So, But Cyclonic Rift deals with almost any... That's, that's where it becomes difficult. Like, Counterspell deals with almost any problematic card. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we... There's there's no good way to figure out like what is the card that is incentivizing people to play Cyclonic Rift mm-hmm. other than Cyclonic Rift itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like this was the argument. Uh, this is the argument I had for Prime Time. Like, I really loved Primeval Titan, but you you just kind of had to run it in green decks. Mm-hmm. Like, you you kind of had to, and especially back then when the format was kind of slower, bigger spells. Um, You wanted to get to six, and then you wanted to get to 10 or plus, and primetime was just the best way to do that. And you pretty a lot of games devolved to, like, who got primetime first. And I feel like that might be the argument people are using for Cyclonic Rift, uh, is that, like, not that who can get to Cyclonic Rift first, but, like, I have to play Cyclonic Rift to, like deal with you oh no as i'm saying it that sounds way more stupid <laughs> it's okay <laughs> to be to be fair one of the only ways to survive a cyclonic rift is to have your own hmm. yeah i mean unless that, you counter it yeah it's true i mean I, there are blue decks i have that i don't run cyclonic rift in and it's not because i'm what like a gentleman i don't want to run cyclonic rift it's because like this doesn't actually do what i want to do so like noyandar is an example it's like i don't actually want to just b- bounce your stuff yeah, that kind of thing. I, I think we're spending. I'm, we've I'm, oh, we've gotten time. off on yeah, an yeah, extreme yeah. tangent. Yeah, I think. Ba- basically, I think bottom line, and probably you guys can agree with yeah. this. This should be struck from the document. This this is not <laughs> a good line. It's a bad. It's a hard to quantify. And I would perhaps make the argument that it should be struck from the document. Isn't what we should be suggesting okay but perhaps we may want to kind of rethink what all of these bullet points look like in a way that can be measured yeah and when you try to measure how people feel you arrive at a a place that is not informative yeah yeah and also like and as you were saying earlier not only is measuring what people feel difficult uh but also trying to figure out why people feel what they feel is super it's, it's way harder that was a blog you and go, dog question yeah <laughs> you you go to therapy and you spend yeah. like 
60 bucks an hour, 100 bucks an hour every week for years to figure out why you feel what you feel. Yeah. We, we almost just got on a 30 minute tangent on why we feel how we feel about cyclonic risk. Yeah, exactly. so that's just how easy it gets. That's one card. We can't do that with every card that's ever been printed. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, okay, we should move on. We should move on. But <laughs> Let, yeah. Let's talk about making this more quantitative. Yes, as well as how what we would need to do to make that possible. And I think that that's also a very important part of our original conversation, which is, for those of you that may have forgotten, the market instability hmm. caused by ba, the bannings ba, ba. and unbannings. Or just instability in general. Yeah. I'm just taking the market instability very personally. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's, You're allowed. That's my cross today. You're allowed. That's fine. Okay, thank you. All right, so... One thing I would like to do to improve stability, and, and we've been building up to this, yeah. <laughs> is uh, basically taking out as much as possible the human element of ban list decisions. It feels like part of the inconsistency of the current ban list is, I would say, because it's not very data-driven, um, it's really just based on super small sample size, what the rules committee is experiencing, who is like yelling the loudest on Twitter. There's, it's, it's definitely not scientific. And I think that that leads to uh, the instability because people don't know what is going to go on to or come off of the ban list. Yeah. Right. And which people yelling on Twitter will persuade the 10 people responsible for that ban list. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, to be fair, there's it was three years that it didn't so they might be more stonewall than than I'm, mm -hmm. we might imagine which they do say right here they prefer prefer uh to be conservative yeah and bold with changing the band list in bold lettering right um but yeah to keep going so to circle back yeah so i guess right out the gates the most obvious answer is you know we want a body who is going to be data-driven making bands. We have lots of other formats with data-driven bands. The organization responsible for those bands is Wizards. Mm -hmm. Is this another reason that we should be thinking about when we talk about should wiz if Wizards should be the body responsible for the band list in Commander? Uh, I'm going to jump a little bit before that question and just right. insert in different... Uh, and I'm going to help you build up to there, okay? You're going to do like a in, on the stack for me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. All right. So I think that, uh, well, one of the complaints or gripes or like um, is that there, most people are saying that there isn't data for Commander because so many of the games take place on kitchen tables. Yes. Um, but that's not entirely true. We have access to Commander gameplay data on Magic Online or rather we don't have access to it, but it exists. Mm -hmm. um, someone has access to it. Someone has access to it. And although there's definitely questions of whether Magic Online is representative of Kitchen Table Commander, the, the kind of commander that most people play, that's an excellent question and it should be interrogated. But uh, I think that even an imperfect data set that maybe skews in a certain direction is better than nothing, which is what we have right now. Yeah. We have nothing. We have the opportunity to get something and I think we should pursue it. Otherwise, it's just going to be people arguing from their armchairs forever and nothing getting done. Yes. Yeah, I, I think both of us agree 
Oh yeah, I couldn't agree more with that sentiment. <laughs> yeah, because mm-hmm. I I think that's just we're going to end up in the endless Twitter rants and threads and callouts and all of that. Like the fact that these discussions are based on Twitter, mm-hmm. which is a hundred forty character, mm-hmm. or maybe it, I think it's bigger now. I can't remember, but like the fact that it's on this format that's specifically meant to like not house long deep conversations is i think a problem the fact that this is the form and and of course there's like mtg salvation there's reddit there's Mm -hmm. there's other places people are discussing it but like the common talking points for the commander discourse come from armchairs people tweeting when they're like on the toilet or like on break at work or something like that and that doesn't that's not you're right that's nothing yeah, that that doesn't have any actual substance to it. Yeah, and I uh, and people are going to argue about ban lists no matter what. Yeah, but I would so much prefer if the conversations were about I don't agree with how you slice the data or your methodology. Here's what I think would be like a more valid method for looking at this data. That's such a better conversation yeah. <laughs> than like I don't think cyclonic rift is oh, a problem. Yeah, the uh, how many times the last few days I've read like. Well, I never saw Iona cast ever, so this is really dumb. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly, I would have been in the Paradox Engine camp of what a strange ban. Mm-hmm. I've hardly ever lose to Paradox Engine. Yeah, and in point, and, and I, and it kind of exactly as you said, like playgroups can be so insular. Like playgroups can be just four people sometimes. Like maybe you're at school, or maybe you're in a small town. Like. Like, maybe you don't have access to a wider community of Magic players. Um, so you end up seeing the same, like, four to eight decks every week. And it's very likely you didn't see Iona or Paradox Engine. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that those cards weren't warping the format somewhere else or, like, causing problems somewhere else. And this, that that's the point. <laughs> like, you don't have, none of us in this room, no one has access to that much data but at least if we yeah. had something, <laughs> yeah, 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 we could move to something that would be way like better, way more substantial. All right. Uh, I want to talk for a little bit about how we would operationalize these bullet points in the philosophy mm-hmm. document, how we yeah. would find in the data that exists on Magic Online, how we could find evidence that a card is like meets this criteria or does not meet this criteria. I love that idea. Okay. Uh, so let's go with, I'm going to do these out of order because some of them are really easy. <laughs> uh, okay. Agreed. Allow players to win out of nowhere. So I think. How th- often does it appear on the last turn of the game? Yeah. So easy. So that's, a, that's, I don't think it'd take very long to get an answer to that question for any given card. Yeah. Not at all. Not at all. All right. Here's another one. Uh, this is a little bit uh, broader. Um, prevent players from contributing to the game in a meaningful way. And Zach, I'm going to let you take this one because you had a good idea oh, yeah. for this. So um, let's say uh, your game has a chess timer built into it uh, and you're looking at gameplay data and you go, hmm, how do I tell if someone is contributing a lot? You can look at like, oh, this person took like one to multiple 20-minute turns and everyone else at the table took between like a few seconds to like a minute or two turns. 
So just like the difference in uh, basically activity, like just how long a turn can take, it can be a signifier. And I know like there is probably an example of a deck that breaks that, but I think in general you would find that that would be a pretty good way to measure like, Oh, like this person locked down the game. This and person's the playing only, solitaire. Yeah, and is playing solitaire, and no one else is playing after this. And and I might even add to that: even if they're not locking people out of the game, mm-hmm. you are having an experience that this is going to get quite qualitative. I think it would be uncontroversial to say most people don't play commander to watch someone else play alone for twenty yeah. minutes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so even if you're not locked out, if you're not playing, you know, it doesn't matter whether you could untap, you're not untapping. Mm-hmm. Or it doesn't matter if you can cast spells, you're not casting spells. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I think that dovetails, interestingly, with the first bullet point, uh, severe resource imbalance. Mm-hmm. And in, oh. in a way the amount of time that you get to play, it's not a resource in the game, but it's a resource that you value about the game. And so that may be more important to some people, uh, but I think with resource imbalance, there's lots of easy metrics just to move on to another real simple one. Mm -hmm. Sorry if I'm jumping the gun. Am I jumping the gun? No, no, you're, you're echoing exactly what I was thinking, which is like, I actually think chess clock usage might be the most important metric for determining whether a game was a good game or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I do too. I think that like I had an Arjun, the shifting flame deck um, that I have taken apart because like it just so many games went down to like, up, up, Uh, oh i don't win sorry pass and then like right that's it well and i think that even bans that people maybe don't agree with are things that could be banned but don't are not banned because of that right Mm -hmm. like if you look at uh your tooth and nail right it's not upsetting because you just start the next game Mm -hmm. you didn't have to wait for that to do what it's going to do you just lose or um like crater hook behemoth right like Mm -hmm. probably not bannable why because you just die like what's the problem (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know you get to keep playing magic but yeah i i uh i mean to get on the resource imbalances like it does uh do you know like what else it can track in game other than time because i agree that i think time is probably one of the most important metrics um do you know do we know like what other things it tracks like what cards are cast i so i don't know the specifics Mm -hmm. all i know is i once saw morrow say that they have everything (laughs) so here's my question you can watch recordings of a game on moto right uh, is that is that something is that functionality i don't it used to be true i don't know if it's still true yeah so then the question would be... I mean, I, b- I believe it tracks every interaction. Right. So oh, actually, then the question becomes, if you were to watch a replay of something on Moto, is what's happening there, it's just following the narrative of what's going on? And if so, it shouldn't be all that hard to keep track of all the, say, objects mm-hmm. that are currently in circulation on, say, the battlefield, Yeah, which could lead you to answers to questions like, how many lands did a player have? Mm-hmm. 
uh, what is the you know largest hand size that was achieved? Things like that. I know that it does track that because uh, there was a video a few years ago where someone's only permanence became uh, two oblivion rings, and the game just crashed because he kept like <laughs> like and the, it couldn't release itself. Well, what it, yeah, what it did was it like flickered for a little bit and then it was like, uh, and then it restarted the game and like replayed the game from turn one. Until it got to the O-ring turn again and was like, uh, uh, and then it restarted the game from turn one. So I know that I, this I have also seen, yeah. yeah, I've also <laughs> seen it restart. Yeah. Uh, it, so it definitely is tracking all actions. And you probably, even if it doesn't have, like, even if it doesn't necessarily keep track of, like, how much mana is in your pool at any given time, there's definitely a lot of, like, heuristics you could use. Like, what is the total, like, what is all, all the cards they cast in that turn? What is the total CMC of all those cards? That's a pretty good metric for how much mana they had access to that turn. Right, right. Yeah. So I think those two in particular, pretty easy to track. I think we could get like pretty good hard, fast numbers about that. Um, right. And those would be the kinds of things where it would be easy to spot, one would suppose, like an infinite interaction mm -hmm. because it would be so far beyond what like a normal game looks like. Yeah. So and you also, could say, this is an extreme outlier. Mm. one would suppose because yeah. you're gonna have to generate you know 120 mana to comet storm three opponents to death so. <laughs> oh yeah that's true yeah you would have to count that out because it is like you are basically ending the game it just takes a while to manually do it on moto right, right. yeah um okay let's look at another one of these bullet points and and they're getting i'm going i'm going from like easy to like most difficult to mm -hmm. figure out a way to quantify um interact poorly with the multiplayer nature of the format or the specific rules of commander how, how would you quantify a card that does that is this like limited resources is I that think what this means i would say limited resources probably would jump to mind most readily and then one that kind of comes to mind as well would be say yagmas bargain already banned yeah I, I definitely agree with the latter half. I think when they say sp specific rules to, of commander, that definitely leads to things that pay life for value. Oh, mm -hmm. So if someone is paying a lot of life or like losing a lot of life to their own cards, that may be a trigger you could look for. Mm -hmm. And you might actually be able to capture cards that are unpopular, but perhaps not bannable, mm -hmm. that operate in a similar way if someone's life total is going from a pretty high number to a pretty low number in a single turn and there's a high incidence that a single card being cast is associated with that you're going to capture a lot of similar statistics as you would with say how often does it go a card is cast the game ends mm -hmm. but you would also capture one would suppose things like Tree of Perdition or uh, more popularly, maybe uh, Soren Markov. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where it's on some people's watch list. It would check the box. A life total changed a lot in one turn. Yeah. And I think that there definitely should be humans involved in the ban list process, but that their involvement should just be the interpretation of the data. Right. Because they, they'll see that like Soren Markov and Ad Nauseam are both going to tick the same box of like a player's life total went from 40 to much less than 40. Um, 
but it will require a human uh, to say like, oh, well, obviously the Soren's probably not as much of an issue as the guy who just drew 40 cards. Or say wall <laughs> of blood, probably not worth banning. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to fling your wall of bread, blood, that's probably okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or uh, draw a bunch of cards in uh, Villis now. What's his name? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. On the topic of cards that I'm surprised exist. Mm. Yeah. Villis. Yeah, yeah. It's very... It's very yeah. close to Gristlebrand, but no one's figured out how to crack it yet. So. It's it's crackable. We're trying to tell people: you just play your your play your Wall of Blood, <laughs> you play your mischievous Poltergeist. There's enough of those effects, guys. You just you can build the deck. Mm-hmm. Just, just go for it. Yeah, most of them don't even cost that much mana. Yeah. Just wreck as many playgroups as you possibly can, and then eventually <laughs> the rules committee will have to take notice. <laughs> But yeah, let's let's move on. Uh, which was the next bullet point you wanted to get into? Um, okay, this one's harder. That we're we're down to the last two, and yeah. they're both pretty difficult. Uh, cards that are very difficult for other players to interact with, especially if doing so requires dedicated narrow responses when deck building. How do you tell? How do you measure people not interacting with something? Hmm. That is an excellent question. The only kind of card I can even see as being categorically in this bullet point would be instants and sorceries, mm. right? Because you need a counterspell to I w- interact with an instant or sorcery. I was thinking uh, emblems and eminence. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, that's true. I... Those cannot be interacted with at all, more or less. Yeah. yeah. I mean, things with flash i'm trying to think of instances where like you like try to you're trying to like change z- something zone a bunch like you're like haha like I, I got my white main lion like screw you but even that like you could argue that this could be talking about um you could argue that that's talking about recurring nightmare oh that's true because mm. recurring nightmare is really really difficult to interact with i don't know if you guys have ever played with it but oh i have yeah so <laughs> returning it to your hand is a cost so you can't as long as they just like maintain priority you can't kill it not even with like a crossin grip right which makes it a degree harder to destroy than say dead eye navigator yeah or at least you can play an instant mm-hmm. yeah so the only ways to really kill recurring nightmare if they're playing it intelligently is uh like counter spells or discard because if they're if they play it right it's like i play it during my main phase i activate it immediately i do that as many times as i want and i end with it in my hand yeah so does this bullet point exist solely to justify the banning of recurring nightmare i kind of think so it feels like they wanted to have it feels like they wanted to make sure that every card on the ban list was under this umbrella so that they wouldn't have to like so that they would appear accountable to the rules that they are creating for themselves because the other the only other options i can think of are like biorhythm and stuff like that like but that allows players to win out of nowhere (laughs) Right. That well, get, the yeah. narrow response in deck building is casting your commander. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not so so sold on that one. But yeah. Cause it, it, unless you're playing a Planeswalker commander, I'm so sorry to all the Duretti players out there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, because they do say, like, I think cards meet some of these more than others, but they, like, they did right underneath the bullet points. It does say cards which are banned likely meet a few of these criteria in a significant way. So I... 
like those are the only things I can think of as like recurring nightmare and like the, whatever instance and sorceries they think are really busted. I yeah, I'll, will I'll, say, sorry, go ahead. I will say I've never been convinced this this bullet point has always existed in the back of my mind as an unconvincing reason for why Biorhythm is banned. Mm. I'm not convinced. You could always play the one creature that we all know your deck is playing. Mm. You're not dead yet. And you probably could before turn eight. So I, I think, how about at the end of this episode, we just talk about what we think the ban list should be. Let's get that out of That's the way. That's always, yeah, okay. We'll, we'll set that to the yeah, end. We'll put a we pin in that. We don't have to talk about it yeah. as, we, as we move forward. Great okay. idea. Okay. All right. And then the seventh bullet. You tell me how you use existing data to quantify this one uh cards that cause other players to feel they must play certain cards even though they are also problematic i believe we missed one that's slightly less difficult oh what's this one lead to repetitive gameplay oh i'm sorry which Mm -hmm. uh demonic tutor vampiric tutor imperial seal yeah i really wanted to sorry i'm jumping on your your toes (laughs) giving you a flat tire there no, I, I think that's a great one to bring up. And I think that an, a decent way to um, measure that, and I'm, of course, assuming this can be measured. Let's say it probably can. What are people tutoring for? When people cast a tutor, what are they getting? I think that it, that is something that you could probably you could probably track that in Moda. I feel like that's got to be a, well, something you can query. It's going to be... An action occurred and a card was chosen. Mm-hmm. It also what could was be the card that was chosen. It yeah. also could be like what is, like what happens immediately before a shuffle. Oh sure. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. That that makes sense. So I think that and and I actually think that's a pretty good um, criteria because I think that one of the reasons that Paradox Engine is like. An argument for it being ban worthy is that it's so good to tutor out. Like it's, it's. I have tutored out Paradox Engine many times because it's just way more powerful than every other card in my deck. So it's worth my time to try to find it every single game because, like, the games where I have it are, I my deck is so much better than the games where I don't. So, I guess this is where we kind of arrive at the the limits of the usefulness of statistical analysis um i might argue that you're going to see an awful lot of soul rings leaving libraries before that library gets shuffled Mm -hmm. it's still going to be a human call because i'm sure it's going to be very very common it's going to be a human call whether or not soul ring rises to the level of being problematic despite the ubiquity of that line of play Mm. i mean we We'll talk about this at the end, how we feel about Solary. Yeah. But uh, that is true. But, right. Yeah. My- and, and that would be like the most glaring example of where a statistic really doesn't help us at all, I would say. I, I think it does help us. I, 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 I'll, I'll push back against that. Sure. I, I think that, um, I think like without going too far into detail, I think that there are some cards which are just a huge outlier in terms of power and it's worthwhile if you want to win the game to search those out rather than to just try to bunch of run a bunch of redundant copies that are of effects that are basically on the same power level. Uh, like running 
did I mention this this episode? Like running ten Lanoir elves is different from running like one Rafellos and a whole bunch of tutors to find the Rafellos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You haven't said that yet, but not this true. episode. But okay, that's a sound principle, I think. Yeah, basically, uh, I would like to ban more of those cards that are just clearly in a class above everything else. Like, I don't think it's worthwhile to ban a card if there's nine other cards that do the exact same thing. But if one card is just so much better at what it's doing than any other like comp thing that's comparable to it, then it might be worth banning because it's it's so good that you're worth tutoring it out. Like nobody's gonna like promise a power versus ad nauseum. I'm not gonna tutor out promise of power. I'm gonna tutor out ad nauseum. So my only thought on this okay. and I'll use another example, one that's maybe less controversial. Urborg Tomb of Yagmoth is a very common tutor target. Mm-hmm. It is one of it is the only card that does what it does. Mm-hmm. It's going to have a glaring statistical presence. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, what we're going to end up doing is just making a human decision, informed yes by the statistics, but ultimately it will be informed just as much by what a group of people thinks about it. Because I think it would be fairly uncontroversial to say Urborg Tomb of Yagmoth should not be banned. Yeah. Yet it will it will put off red flags for that kind of a statistic. And the same one that we're using to catch problematic effects. But where do we draw the line? Uh, I'm okay with there being some like false positives caught up in the tests. Cause I, I think um I think it's a little easy well. Oh, I don't want to get too far into this. Like, it'd be great if we could democratically elect the, the human that's making those decisions based on the data. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, we could also just have it be an open poll as to what cards should and shouldn't be banned for the next three months. No, okay. I should make it clear. I, I, I want to. I want a republic, not a democracy. <laughs> <laughs> oh no de- direct democracy no direct democracy but we have an anarchy now <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right um i i do agree that there are going to be some some false positives and i would hope that whoever is making the decision is able to to determine like oh ad nauseum appears to is the is worse than is worse for the format than urborg yeah i mean it comes down to that human decision like that we talked about, like someone needs to interpolate like this data. Someone needs to look at it and go like, oh, this statistically significant thing occurred. How do we approach this? Mm-hmm. And I think the difference between like, oh, Trinket Mage got Soul Ring and oh, Demonic Tutor got uh, Ad Nauseum are much, very different. And I suppose to bedevil my own advocacy here just a little bit, Presumably, these cards that are actually problematic are going to show up on other statistics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if you tutor for an ad nauseum, and then four turns later, the ad nauseum ends the game. Yeah. You'll see, well, this is occurring in multiple of the, you know, cross sections mm-hmm. that we're checking for. Yeah, yeah so. th- that's true. That, that's a very good point that there is going to be overlap between a lot of these metrics. We don't need to rely on a single one, yeah. much like the uh, rules committee in the CAG or not now. Yeah. All right, uh, last bullet point for real this time. Yeah. <laughs> cards that cause other players to feel they must play certain cards, even though they are also problematic. So, fellas, you tell me, how are you going to use existing data 
to measure players' feelings. Hmm. <laughs> so I kind of put the cart before the horse on this one, yeah. other than just raw percentage use in decks, just straight EDH rec, what cards do people think they quote-unquote have to play? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know yeah, how you can measure this. Because it gets so, that gets so hard because like staples are just, like you're going to see like, like this signance and counter spell. And yeah. Right. right. How, how do you differentiate like an artificially highly played card because people are answering something else from. Yeah. Or, or like, staples. like I, I would assume that like blasphemous act is going to be on that list because like there are a lot of red decks that need board wipes. Like, yeah. Solemn simulacrum. Of, exactly. Yeah. Solemn's mm-hmm. gonna blow that number up too. Like it gets really that that one just gets like so difficult. <laughs> yeah. Maybe let, let's actually just take a look at the ban list for one sec. Maybe we can divine what existing <laughs> card they were defending here. <laughs> the I mean, hear the, hear the clicking of the keyboard. Seriously, because I mean, really, type. I, I as you're getting it up, I don't know if you have it up right now. Yeah. I I really think this is kind of like a catch-all. Like this is the most like when a card is like with we mentioned before Cyclonic Rift. Like I think that this is really like a catch-all to that kind of thing like i i don't know if they even had like a quantity like i don't know if they could specify okay well you know we could uh how do you guys feel and let me know if you think this would be too take up too much time but how do you guys feel about running through the ban list and trying to categorize them according to the criteria they've given themselves that may take just a little it's pretty long list um but i I may have a, a shortcut for us here okay the that bullet point may be specifically dealing with very expensive cards which are on the reserved list so i'm looking at the power nine if the Mm. power nine was legal players may feel that in order to keep up with the joneses they need to go buy the moxes of the Mm -hmm. colors of the deck they're playing that may be the only thing that that point is trying to capture other than to introduce that completely subjective element that allows (laughs) them to just have total fiat for whatever they want banned or unbanned right right okay i lost to this card yep and it should be banned Mm -hmm. banned skitherix banned skitherix all all right um so I i think we've made a pretty good case for how moto data can be used to quantify almost all of these uh yeah, all, almost all of these qualities, and really give uh, meaningful data to could that could inform ban list decision making. I, I think we're all on the the same page of like that would be mm-hmm. great if that was a tool that was being used. Yeah, I, as I said earlier, I could not agree more with that proposition. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. But I think the question kind of then becomes like, who gets the data? So I think like it would be. I mean, now it would be the rules committee. Mm-hmm. So, like, we would be asking wizards to give this data to the rules committee to make the decisions based on that, which would be better than we have now. <laughs> it would definitely be better, but is it the best? Well, 
and I guess I will also caution while we're thinking about this, if the rules committee believes that it has enough data to make informed decisions without qualitative input, we may not have a gag. That's true. Which may be a worse position. Data mm -hmm. and no gag may be worse than a gag and a rules committee. Maybe. Mm -hmm. I mean, to say. I definitely do think, especially after this, that like the CAG has for sure at this point made like a positive impact on the format. The format. Yeah, like, major servant. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> definitely like good job everybody. You're you're doing great. And I think everyone on the CAG takes their job very seriously. So that's very good. Uh, like maybe maybe they should get the data and tell the rules committee what's going on because it seems like if that was the case in the first place that the CAG like needed to come on to be able to help the rules committee parse data maybe that's what they would want to do I'm not I don't know so one thing I want to bring up is if wizards goes ahead and package it let's say they do make a partnership the the CAG and the rules committee partner with wizards and they get a look at all this data and use it to make decisions about the state of the format. I don't know. I don't believe that anyone on the rules committee or CAG is like a statistician. And I don't know if they could really interrogate the methodology that wizards used. Um, like, and if they aren't really able to like ask intelligent questions or, or like uh, catch it when wizards make some mistake or something, like if they're not qualified for that, then what is their use? Yeah, or I think like the question then becomes like who is most qualified? Or or how do you temper that lack of expertise? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well, go ahead. Well, no, I mean, I, I uh, would just say like at a certain point, like wizards bundling up the data giving it to some third party which like at its essence like the kind of beginning of this or in a perfect universe maybe just giving it to everybody it's not yeah. like it would have anyone's name on it that's true they could mm -hmm. just like distribute it to the world to that see would be great that, yeah that would be the best case honestly like even even i, I think we'll come back to that in a sec yeah but i, I think it's let's, a good idea. let's please do yeah. yeah but i think that um well actually let's just keep moving from there because i think that the point oh, i want to okay. make is actually related to that yeah so the thing is like there are people in wizards who are used to cutting up the data in order to make decisions for other formats like modern there are also people at wizards who are like used to interpreting that data that the 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 data guys cut up and then actually like making the decision like writing up the explanation and posting it to the public and now it's official. Um, I think that's a unique skill set. And if Wizards is doing it for every other format and if the thing we want for Commander is just to be able to do these ban list processes as well as Wizards does it for other format, then it begs the question of like, why isn't Wizards just doing this? Like if like the, the human matters so much less uh, in a data-driven decision-making process. Mm -hmm. So why not just have use the humans who are already doing this well for other formats? Yeah. Right. I, I... And, and it'll, in a lot of ways, 
at least you can show support for a company, right? Like there's nothing we can do if we want to rebel against the CAG or rebel (laughs) against the rules committee. But theoretically, if we were really upset with how Wizards was handling a banned list, we could not buy more cards. Yeah, they they actually do have a stake in what we think about them. Yes. Yeah. 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 Definitely. And I think that that um, this is like a really minor point, but like, there, the more people invest in cards over time, and the more banning and unbanning become kind of like a uh, kind of a topic like we're talking about here with like market instability and stuff like that. The more contentious. Uh, the position that the rules committee has is going to seem and the CAG has, mm-hmm. uh, they were already like threats of like, imp- like not, I guess, uh, of insider trading basically mm-hmm. based on this, even though like, I know like a hundred percent, no, no one in the RC or more CAG. or less a conspiracy theory. Yeah. 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 There's, there's, they, they, they definitely don't do that. Everyone, we all agree. Yes, they don't do insider they trading. They don't do that. That's also yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and agree with that. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. also very, very dumb and a bad way to make money. Like by unbanning a magic card every few months. That's like, basically that seems... like. Also, like it's so tied up with the thing that they like want so badly. Like yeah. all of them want to be on the rules committee yes. or the CAG. It's like stealing from your job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very weird. You don't want to bite the hand that feeds. And so I, I think that that removes that instability aspect too, where all of a sudden you have this party that is already curating the ban list mm-hmm. that already has a stake in the cards that they're printing and is generally predictable and is generally predictable and just as a a general principle right any any sort of market fluctuation that's being controlled by people that the public trust is it's just going to have that much more stability because of that trust Mm -hmm. so and uh i think the so i'm just gonna like sort of illustrate the the different options we have here so our goal is stability clear ban list uh, a market that behaves uh like steadily not erratically um one option is uh have the rules committee work with wizards and obtain the data use that to inform their decision making and then the idea there is that because everything is based in data, it's less of a whimsical thing. It's uh, a little bit more predictable, a little bit less out of left field. People can have a little bit more confidence in the process. Another option is Wizards takes control of the ban list decisions. They still use the data, but we can trust them a little bit more because they are a little bit more qualified a little bit more accountable in terms of like we pay them we pay their salaries right and a little bit more experienced in like using data to drive format ban lists Mm -hmm. right which is a job skill that is very very narrow yes yeah there's almost no one else on earth (laughs) who has experience doing exactly that yes (laughs) uh and then i think the third option here which you had had brought up before and i want to circle back to it Yes, yes. Is uh, rather than 
like the market being stable because we trust the rules committee more or because we trust wizards even more than that, how about the market being stable because we have really good transparency into what cards are being considered? Like if wizards is developing these reports for the rules committee or wizards is reporting these reports of magic online data for themselves for their own bandless decisions, they could also like, I mean, and this would be going a step further than what they do for any other format. Right. But uh, they could disseminate those reports Mm -hmm. because, and sorry if I'm talking too much here. No, no, not at all. Okay. Um, But with every other format, they publish tournament results. Yeah. So players can see, like everyone knows what the conversion rate of the Hogak deck is because they publish it like top of the mothership on Monday morning following the tournament. Right. Whereas it's, it's heuristic because you just look at it and go, well, it's winning a lot. I yeah. Know that much. But, but it's still like a form of data that Wizards doesn't have to release, but they do. Right. And so everyone is a little bit more informed and a little bit a- better able to make like rational decisions in the ma- the ma- the market of magic. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so if they were to release these reports on commander data, which commander data, unlike tournament reports, is not readily available to everyone else, no, yeah. they'd sort of be like evening the playing field and making it so that everyone can see, oh man, Paradox Engine is seeing a lot of play, huh? Yeah. Huh. I thought it wasn't that big a problem, but I guess that's just ending, my play group. Ending a lot of games, getting tutored all the time. Yeah. You know, all of the all of the things we went over. Mm-hmm. Then So then the public would have like a comp... I mean, it'd definitely be... Well, the public would have a comparable amount of information on which to base their decision making when it comes to buying, selling cards. Right, on the likelihood that it might get banned. Yeah, or maybe unbanned. Yeah, harder well, to see with unbanned. You can't collect statistics on things that aren't happening. But that's true. <laughs> yeah, that is a little trickier. Um, but also, I think that would be like probably the best uh, option for mm-hmm. like avoiding these things of like card price shooting everywhere yeah i think honestly like the like i I could imagine like edh rec having this like if they started like disseminating these reports to like the public or like just posting these big information files like every two weeks here's the info dump people would take that like people would look Mm -hmm. at that and i would almost guarantee in the same way that like we got edh rec oathbreaker uh, yeah, EDH Rec, Oathbreaker happening after the Oathbreaker like rise in popularity. There's no way that someone wouldn't make that data easily accessible for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Or at the very least, you would get people interpreting it and discussing those interpretations yeah. on social media sites. Exactly. Yeah. And, I, and that is so... That would be like a glorious future. Yeah. <laughs> that is a beautiful, beautiful vision of the future. It's so much better than like, it's not a problem in my play group. Yeah. Or my friends don't care if I Armageddon them. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I want that so badly. I really, really want us to be discussing the data and like, hmm. Yeah. And I think the big retort is that just like the data is incomplete. That's the that's my expected thing that I think people will counter with is like, oh, but like moto data isn't complete, but like or it isn't comparable to real world. Exactly. Which I just disagree with, which may be true because of the 
price limitations. Maybe yeah, maybe true. a deck is easier yeah. to build on Moto and that cards see more play like, than they should. The the reason I bring it up is because I I think that even with the differences, it's exactly like you said. Like it's better than nothing, and people oh, it's absolutely. still commander. Mm-hmm. Like just because it's a commander in this format where like different cards at different prices, like things might be skewed in various ways. Right. It's still commander. People are still playing it because it's commander. Mm-hmm. It has the commander gameplay. Right. That that means something. Well, like, and the fact that it is going to be so relatively devoid of scarcity mm-hmm. means that the cards that are good are probably price won't be an object to playing mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Like they would be in paper magic. Yeah. And so you're almost gonna get more pure results of an ideal universe than you would if you were taking statistics from like your playgroup paper yeah I, I i completely agree and i actually think it would be i would almost prefer decisions to be made based on that because like if the current if the if the universe we live in and this is this is probably true but like because gaia's cradle is however many hundreds of dollars you don't see it as much in as many decks as you want and like, okay, that's cool. It keeps it from steamrolling other people, but it also makes it so that a hundred percent, if someone is beating you with Gaia's Cradle, it's because they were like willing or able to spend more money on the game, and that's a really terrible feeling. Yeah, I would rather make decisions on the based on like gameplay where everyone can have Gaia's Cradle, as opposed. And is it is, is it, it unfun? Is it a, is it unfun? I, okay, I, let's ban it. I actually do think if. Everyone had access to Guy's Cradle. We would be talking about it like they talked about Tolarian Academy back when that was banned. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. They like, were like 10 bucks. Yeah, because th- it, there's a lot of cards like that where I think price is the thing keeping it from yeah. being you don't in the lose band to it discussion. It's too expensive. Yeah, and I think people would be like so much less annoyed with the reserve list if, uh, well... If if they were more willing to to ban these cards based on like pro, like actual gameplay problems as opposed to where are they are they represented in the games we're seeing? Yeah, right. Yeah, and that that that's also we're not going to get into that now because that gets in contentious point. Well, then you're banning this money that someone's put in, blah blah blah. Like yeah. that kind of stuff. That that's a whole other conversation. Well, the that reserve we'll have. list is uh, collectible, so it's appreciating faster than most stocks. Yeah. So you should be fine on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. But um, yeah, I I mean, uh, are you all ready to move on to our quick discussion of our dream ban list? Oh, dream ban list. So uh, the the game here is to unbanned cards banned cards both neither so let's start with going through the ban list and you just throw out any cards you think that should be unbanned and and let's be conservative here let's just i mean i know we can all have like real hot takes but let's just be <laughs> mine, mine let's try I, to come to a consensus consensus yeah. i believe i have a conservative one and i know from speaking with you both in the past that it's going to be a hot take okay oh yeah yeah i thoroughly believe balance should be unbanned I believe mm-hmm. balance mm-hmm. solves take. a lot of problems that mono white has, which is not having card advantage, not having ramp. And it solves them both. And it does it cheap. It doesn't have to be your only play for the turn. You can go on to do other things. And I recognize there are two card combos where you wipe out all their hand 
wipe out all their land. There are other two card combos that win games. That's my hot take. Okay. All right. Let's. Uh, I'm gonna go <laughs> in some like less controversial ones. I'm not gonna. We don't have time to debate that, that today. That could be an entire episode. That could yeah. be. An I'll, I'll come episode. back and defend balance some other time. Yeah. Okay. All right. I think uh, sway of the stars. Sway of the stars. I absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it leads to some interesting gameplay because the category of cards that work well with it is so narrow. Yeah. So I'll read it out for those of you who aren't familiar with it. Eight blue, blue sorcery. Each player shuffles his or her hand, graveyard, and permanents he or she owns into his or her library, then draws seven cards. Each player's life total becomes seven. I really think this is only going to see play in Joyra, uh, the original Joyra. I I know one other deck that might play it, and that is uh, Slivers on the condition that you tutor for a frenetic sliver. Mm. It's very hard to lose with half of your slivers. I like it. That's really good, too. That's I cute. like that. Uh, my my uh, unban this is Coalition Victory. Mm. It's a three-card combo. You need, at bare minimum, eight mana and two permanents to, to win. <laughs> oh, like, eight mana and three permanents. Because uh, you're thinking of, what, Prismatic Omen, Basic Land... Transguild Courier? Yeah. I, I actually would say that in a well-built five-color deck, you can just get it purely... Off, by playing. Just by playing. I don't oh, think I don't think the basic land restriction is a real restriction. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, if you're playing five-color, then your commander is the one creature. So really, it's like in a five-color list, you play the normally the first couple of games. Oh, I, I mean, it determines which like what you crack your fetch for. I guess that's true. But it doesn't work in Ramos. It doesn't work in Ramos. That's true. There's certain, yeah, that's true. Okay, okay. I mean, I could be convinced either way. I just don't think it's as egregious. Oh, as, no. Like, I also think it's something that, like, it's the kind of thing that you see play, you maybe get beat by it once, and then you just know not to play against that person. Cause, yeah, because that's the thing is that it's it's very easy, but it's also, like, would not warp the format, it, I think. Yeah. It would likely be a card that just self-corrects. Mm-hmm. honestly people would realize like it's not that fun to win with the coalition victory yeah um i guess if i were to be a little more conservative i think the only thing on the list that strikes me as curious as to why it's banned might be well no gifts ungiven tutors for four cards so yeah. that's very strong yeah mm-hmm. it's very good honestly having played with or against most of these cards at some point in my life I think really Sway of the Stars would be maybe the only one that jumps out. And again, I'll die on the Hill of Balance, but we'll save that for another day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll say, oh, sorry, are you, do you got another one? Uh, I, uh, this one's a little bit more of a hot take because I also like, hmm, hmm, hmm. Because I, it. I mean, Prophet of Crufix. It's a two color card. It goes. You have to be playing blue green. Like you there's get a- to be playing blue green. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even have any fun command. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> As I have a blue green deck. Um, I would personally love to see a cra- p- profit of Crufix unbanned. I built a Crufix God of Horizons deck after the banning of that card. Oh, and never had the pleasure of. I don't even know how to describe that board state, mm-hmm. but uh, win, win, win. Yeah. That. There, there's a lot Seems of good. 
there's a lot of like virtual turn cards in the game and i think that this one uh just had the salt high enough to where it got on the rules committee's radar Mm. at the wrong time that's my take but that's for another day (laughs) all right uh i'd say i I would also unban world fire oh world fire yeah yeah. let's see kiki jiki joyra anything else uh nope i don't even let's say like zergo right maybe zergo could use it uh it's exile all permanents it's not destroy uh you could from the command zone have mana floating so uh, world fire one floating zergo gotcha okay but i'm okay with zergo <laughs> having a win con yeah, yeah so he's I'm a not deck. sure that's bad. Yeah, Zergo Helm Smasher for all those. Uh, no, no, uh, Zergo uh, Bell Striker. Oh, Bell Striker, mm. thank you. Oh, Bell Striker. Thank you, I got it mixed up. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah I think Helm that... Helm Smasher has plenty of win counts. That's yeah. true. I, I don't think Worldfire is going to see any play. Um, and for those of yeah, you that who are... Was, that seemed like it was a band made for competitive EDH, and I'm not sure why... I, I don't even think so. I don't, yeah, I think, I don't there's, think so either. Did, Competitive EDH not care about Joyro world firing? No, I, I think the thing is it's so close to um, Ops. Decree of Annihilation. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah, if Decree of Annihilation exists, oh, this is, okay, I've, I think I've made this argument on the podcast before, but it really <laughs> cheeses me. So Decree of Annihilation is Jesus. is basically the same thing, except it, yeah, it has cycling, you can destroy all lands, whatever. But also, uh, it doesn't set people's life totals to one. So the the rules committee is implicitly saying that if you want to exile all hands and all permanents, then we want to make that game as long as possible. We don't like that game being a short one. We don't want no, so nobody to end that by just ripping forest Lanoir elves win the game. We want it to be a grindy, miserable mess in which everyone feels like punished. To be fair... Going back to the document here, they do emphasize the format's flavor, and it may be that an Elder Dragon would prefer the grindy, mm, hellish mm. scenario. Mm. That's true. That Decree of Annihilation That's true. forces. That's I could true. imagine Vivictus just like sitting there, like the, dra- like, the dragons really were incredibly destructive during their war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, That's true. A very belligerent, belligerent race. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's. Okay, we've got a few minutes. Yeah, we, we should start wrapping it up we've at this g- point. We gotta wrap it up. It's gonna it's All gonna right, be a little long, but I think we I think this was worth it. Okay. We're not gonna talk about uh the bands we'd like to see in this episode. That could be an entire episode too. That oh, could yeah. also be an entire episode. I think it it might be. <laughs> that would get that would get contentious. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. My goodness. All right. So uh before we go, I want to Thank Alex for joining us today. Yeah. And I would like to thank both of you from the very bottom of my heart for having me on the podcast with you. Yeah. It, it has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I've been playing Magic with both of you for years. I both I respect both of your thoughts and opinions and ideas about Magic uh, and Commander as a format. So I, I just want to thank you both so much for allowing me this opportunity well it was it was a total pleasure to have you on and we would love to find more opportunities to get you on the show because i think this was a great conversation today. yes yes um i mean i i'm gonna come clean to everyone listening i got a new setup so we could have more people on like this so this is something that hopefully will happen more uh i have to use a very bad mic 
right now. So I'm going to sound tinny. I apologize for sitting through all this. But even through all of this, it's been a pleasure to have you on and like to actually like get everyone to kind of this is a discussion that isn't happening and you brought it to our attention and we're so happy that that happened <laughs> well thank you zach yeah I'm, uh, I'm glad to be able to facilitate the conversation yeah mm-hmm. all right i want to give you all a quick preview of our next episode so this was our takes on the ban list decision mm-hmm. and our next episode we are going to have charlotte of the commander advisory yeah, group on the show explaining all the decisions from the inside giving us the lowdown on this philosophy document really explaining what that middle bullet means oh, yeah <laughs> i will definitely tune in for uh for that yeah in its fullest and and we've been meaning to have her on again so yeah it, it's, so this is the perfect time give perfect, us the yeah. inside scoop on this decision very yeah. excited very exciting all right before we go I want to give a thank you to our Patreon patrons. Yeah. They are Bradley, Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Amond, Addison, Arthur, Mason, Will, Elvis, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Kyle, Charlotte, Andrew, Casey, Brock, and Tom. Thank you all for keeping the lights on in the studio. If you are not currently a patron but would like to become one, go to commandertheory.com. Or no. Well, actually, you can go there, too. You could go there, too. But go to patreon.com slash commandertheory. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr. If you want to reach Zach, he is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter and Tumblr. The opening song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. We'll talk to you guys next time. 